Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless. Hey everybody, we are back. It is June 15th for us. It'll probably be next week for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully you're having a uh, cool summer. It's pretty hot here oh, in Central so Florida. hot. I think it's been like 93, 94, 95, but the heat index has been over 100 almost every day. Yeah. So, And then of course it's Florida, so the humidity is like through the roof, saturating everything. Yes. And then we get those 3, 4 to 5 p.m. thunderstorms every day, and then it just turns into a sauna. So, Yeah, my glasses fog. Yeah. So. I don't know how people live in this weather, like that have to be outside consistently. Like, that's insane to me. I was thinking about the other day, how do people live here before modern AC? I, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I know people would probably say, oh, it was a different time, and people had thicker skin back then, and they were tough. and But, like, it is... It's not a matter of comfortability. Like when it yeah. gets that hot and humid outside, you can't breathe. Well, right. And like, at least if you lived up north, I mean, I get, I can't imagine winters without heat either, but like sure. you could have a fire. Sure. Yeah. You had fireplaces <laughs> or just build like a There's, campfire or something. Yeah. yeah. But down here There's without like a, AC, there is no solution. Yeah. You're just hot all the time. Yep. So yeah, I, I don't know. I hope you guys are... If you're not in Florida, I'm uh, jealous. And if you are in Florida, we will be saying prayers for you consistently until our winters don't start until like November, <laughs> like like mid-November it hits 60 and we're like, yes, and that's it. At night. Right. And then we might get a couple like, uh, you know, maybe it's very rare in our winters. Do we drop down to the 30s? And it's usually at night if it happens. Right. And it's like one night, maybe two out of the entire quote unquote winter. But, you know, the 40s is, you know, sometimes it's. Yeah, we get like a average. month or so of like bonfire weather, I call it. We can go out back on the patio mm. and, you know, have a nice little fire, some marshmallows and stuff. But anyway, you probably didn't tune in to hear about the weather or us <laughs> complain about the Florida weather. But uh, yeah, so uh, like I said, right now it's June 15th for us. It'll probably be. Uh, next week for you guys, we are actually going to be taking a, what, 10-day vacation? Yeah, road trip. Yeah, road trip. Going to go up to Michigan, Chicago, Boston, New York. You know, just kind of make a make a couple weeks out of it. Take the kids and just, you know, see where we end up. That's how we like to travel. I know a lot of people like to fly and stuff like that. And uh, we have a Prius, so gas isn't too bad yeah. on us. And it gives us the freedom to just kind of hop around and, you know. See more than one place. Yeah, see more than one place. And and if we see something that we like or just like want to take a detour, we can. We have the freedom mm -hmm. just to do that. You know, we have a start date and an end date. And anything in between that is just kind of, you know, fluid. Yeah. Which that's how I like it. We went last summer to out west Grand yeah. Canyon and what else did we do? Las Vegas. Yeah, we went to Vegas, Colorado. I yeah, mean, we Utah. did a lot of stuff and we just kind of bounced around. So a lot yeah. of fun. Anyway, well. So yeah. we won't be here. 
Yeah. So we're going to, I mean, I was going to say like, oh, you probably won't hear from us for a while, but you know, we, we take weeks off at a time sometimes and there's no vacation. So. Yeah. But this time there's an excuse. So if you don't hear from us for a couple of weeks, we're on vacation. A real one. A real one. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I thought today we could talk about something I know, um, you and I know a lot about, mm-hmm. uh, or at least kind of know a lot about, uh, if you've grown up in the charismatic circles, and and I, I need to preface this with saying, I don't fully understand how this word and this concept is used outside of the Pentecostal circles. Sure. Um, I've been in all these other circles before, or most of them kind of in the evangelical world and then, you know, in just in the modern American Christian landscape. Uh, but I don't remember hearing this word too much, at least where it's not ingrained in culture like it is where we came from. You're probably wondering what the heck is the word. Uh, the word is revival. And I know growing up, man, I can't think of a time in my Pentecostal uh, Assemblies of God upbringing where that word was not used consistently. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All the time. Either. Okay, so here's how it worked. It, it was like the perfect frame for anything, right? Either we are, God is about to start a revival and here's what we need to do, or we're in the midst of a revival and this is why, like, here are the signs, this is what's happening. Or, man, when we were in that revival last year, do you remember, you know? So there's always like this this blanket thing of like, there, either revival is in front of you, behind you, or you're in it. But like, it is always a topic of conversation, at least in the circles I grew up in. Yeah. You grew up in uh, Church of God, which is kind of the sister denomination, but a couple yeah. thousand miles away was it the same for you or did they kind of dance around revival a little differently oh would live for revival okay <laughs> so all the time oh yeah all the time sure um yeah for me i mean and it wasn't even just like as an adult you know or even as like a you know a high schooler or a college age like i remember hearing and knowing very deeply what revival was as a grade schooler yeah, um, I'd say so. Now, I did go to one of the largest uh, Assemblies of God churches in the country at one point, and then also in the state of Florida, um, as other churches you know, in the country grew. But uh, so revival was a huge deal. And so even as a grade schooler, um, now this may or may not freak some of our listeners out, because I don't know where you're coming from <laughs> denominationally. So when I think of revival, or I think of like the move of the Spirit, and once again, if this is weird to you, I apologize because looking back, it's weird now. Sure. But when you're in it, you don't know any different, right? And no. I was raised in it. So having a person or multiple people falling out in the spirit yes. in a service, totally normal mm-hmm. in my upbringing. Like Same. you don't even question it. You could be eating popcorn right next to him and it's just like, whatever. Like it's just, yeah. this is happening. Um uh prophetic quote unquote movements inside of service where one or more people mm-hmm. might start having prophecies maybe somebody gets up and translates those prophecies mm-hmm. maybe not um and then that kind of becomes its own thing like it kind of takes over service or it did quite a bit of times i'm not sure if the pastors liked when that happened but it it happened um spontaneous uh movements of healing uh, the pastor or the evangelist or whoever is kind of like running the show that day, that evening, whenever we're gathering, would be like, I feel like God wants to heal somebody with this issue. Mm-hmm. And then now this issue. And then next thing you know, five minutes later, the entire altar is filled with people who need healing for Whatever. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. 
very normal. Like these things happened all the time. Um, I don't know if you experienced this, like sometimes like uh, quota. And I'm using their language here. Please don't. If anything you hear me say, I'm not saying <laughs> I agree with any of this. I'm using the language I was raised on to explain what was happening. Sometimes there would be what they would call a movement of laughter. You ever experienced oh, yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> Drunk in the spirit. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably a better way to say it. And that's Man. what they called it. Yeah, I know that's what they called it, but I'm trying to like micro dissect like the small <laughs> things that would happen. But I think you hit it. It is the umbrella blanket for all of this could be drunk in the spirit. Sure. Yeah, not all of it. Because but... because a lot of this could happen inside of that umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, if people started laughing, if people started falling out, prophecy, oh, speaking, speaking in, in tongues, tongues that's yeah. another huge one. Just, mm -hmm. you know, um, all of this could go under the uh, charismatic umbrella of drunk in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who may not know what that means, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, people act a fool. Yeah. I mean, there's just really no other way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me preface this because I know there may be some more charismatic listeners that are kind of on edge right now. I'm not saying that God can't move. And I'm also not putting limitations on how he can move. My critique comes when I see these things. Now, and remember, I was on leadership, staff. I did a lot of this stuff. I've seen a lot of these things manufactured. I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental. I'm not judging, you know, obviously I'm not like judging God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or what they can and cannot do. But when you've seen, thing manu th seen things become manufactured by a pastor, evangelist, guest speaker, prophet, apostle, like whatever language you want to put to it, when you've seen these things be manufactured, and I'll go into that a little bit later, um, you do start to question what is mm -hmm. real and what sure. is... Mm, 100%. I don't want to say a show, but for lack of better words, what is well, a show? Well, we've talked about, I think before on the podcast, emotionalism. Sure. Yeah. Emotionalism. taking Just it, kind but, of feeling. So it's tricky, though, because I think inside of this drunken the spirit thing, there, there's kind of two camps. Um, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing here, but there are those people who legitimately believe what's happening is happening. So they will start speaking in tongues or they'll fall out or, or whatever is happening. They're in it, right? Like they're in the midst of it. But then there's also the other side of the table, which is typically the leadership and those orchestrating these things that are happening. Sure. Um, and, and that's where it gets tricky because it's very difficult for people to know. This is just what I found over and being a worship pastor. I think I know this better than most. It is not difficult, and I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this. As a worship leader, I've been one. As a pastor, I've been one. As a spiritual mentor, like whatever, whatever you want to say. It is not difficult for us to manipulate a room's emotions yeah. to gain a response. Am I saying that happens every single time? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is yeah. it is possible, it does happen, and it is calculated. Sure. Not all the time. But I've been in ministries where it was. So it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You're like, don't peek behind the green curtain because you're not going to like what you see. You know, um, you know, Dorothy and Tin Man and like you know, they're all standing there and there's flames and fire and oh, the great and powerful Oz. And like this is all happening and it's spectacular. It's magical. It's huge. But in actuality, Toto goes and, you know, bites the guy's <laughs> leg and they pull back the green curtain and it's a guy with a bunch of levers and switches. Right. 
Once again, please don't hear that I'm saying God can't move or that the Holy Spirit can't move. What I'm saying is we have to understand some of these things and some of these occurrences can be and have been manufactured to gain a response, right? Um, and you might be asking yourself, well, why would anybody do that? Well, just imagine uh, I'm the leader of a congregation who's suffering, who's not uh, growing. Maybe they're in financial distress. And... Uh, we find a way to create an atmosphere. Let's let's just use one. Speaking in tongues and laughter breaks out every time we have a service. Now this becomes a spectacle. Now people who have maybe never wanted to step foot in our church are going to be like, we should go Wednesday night. And let, let's just check it out. I can't tell you how many people I've met who went to the church that I went to literally said, well, we just came to check it out because we heard this was happening. And then we ended up staying. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like huge swaths of people came to check it out and stayed because of what was happening. Um, and so I'm just going to keep saying it and keep saying it. I'm not saying God can't move. What I am saying is I think we do have to be very careful. As a worship leader, I know, I love this, at the end of services, I've been doing this since I was 16, right? The uh, pastor gets done doing his message or whatever. Maybe we're going to do an altar call. Like whatever's going to happen, what do they do? They bring up the worship leader <laughs> or one of the musicians, keyboard player, you know, guitar player. As a musician, we very much know what to do and what to play in that moment. Now you might yeah. be thinking, well, what do you mean? Or, well, you just have to suit the tone. Uh, okay, maybe. If there's a... a if there's an altar call happening at the end of the service, right? The one thing I'm not going to do is play something very major GCD uh, that is very peppy. And, you know, I'm not going to do a, ha a high fast tempo uh, like I would opening up a set of worship, right? Yeah. A, because and the obvious answer is because it doesn't set the tone of what's happening in the room. But B, there are chords and there are ways to play music. We know this even outside of the Christian realm of music. There are ways to play music to garner different responses from different mm -hmm. people. So I guess what I'm saying is there's no way anybody's going to convince me that you can't do it. You can. I have done it. I've personally done it uh, as a worship leader. Uh, and I've been asked to do specific things inside of ministry all in the namesake of emotionalism. Now, they wouldn't say that. And they would never call it that. But looking back over the years, I know now what was happening. We were, they would call it creating an atmosphere, right? Um, and my question would be, well, okay, but if we didn't play music in this moment, if these things didn't happen in these moments, these well thought out, calculated, orchestrated things, would you get the same response? And yeah. the answer is probably not. So then we have yeah. to ask, what are we doing, right? Now, I know I'm kind of in the weeds on this, but I'm just trying to paint a picture that there are things we can do inside of church services to get different reactions and responses out of people. Yeah. I don't know, maybe as a listener, I don't know if people have thought about this before. Like, yeah. I think a lot of times people think, okay, I go to service, I drop my kids off at children's church, I get my coffee, I get my donut, I go in, uh, the worship leader with the skinny jeans is on stage, uh, he sings in an Australian accent, we play a fast <laughs> song, maybe we play the second song fast too, and then by song three or four, we're down, we're, we're, and then it's big epic ending, then we come up and then there's prayer and announcements, and then the pastor comes and speaks, and maybe we take an offering at this place, and then there's an altar call, and then we're out the door, right? Yeah. As somebody who just attends church, I see how it could look like that. Mm -hmm. It is a, um, what is a, what, what do you call them? 
um, a program. Like if you were to go to a graduation. Oh, yeah. Or, or even a funeral or something like that. You know, there's programs. There's a, there's a set of order of how things yeah. work. Um, and I think in church, a lot of people think that's exactly kind of what we do. We're just kind of ticking boxes and getting through these different programs. And, and a lot of times we are, but inside of those boxes, especially in the charismatic movement, um, there are absolutely things we do and are trained to do to get reactions and responses out of people. You then, as a uh, participant inside of church, have to decide, is this healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is this a move of God? Is this emotionalism? That gets really tough and really tricky mm -hmm. for a lot of people because the one thing I can't do is give you a blanket statement now. I can't say, oh, if your church speaks in tongues, they're completely off the rails. I can't say that yeah, That's because yeah. th that would be irresponsible. Um, but I have been to churches that speak in tongues <laughs> consistently and they're off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just crazy and it's chaos. And it's, I would say, I would personally say it's not Jesus. I've been in rooms where quote unquote ministry is happening and it's not Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying it's demonic or something, but I'm saying, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But it's it. manufactured. Um, so anyway, back to this idea of revival. Now this all does kind of tie into revival because these are the things we've been raised on. So revival then becomes a buzzword because what happens, all these moments we just explained to you, um, whether it's um, worship music that just seems angelic or heavenly or whatever, whether it's a movement of God and people start speaking in tongues or the altars are filled or, I mean, can you think of any other ones? Yeah, I mean, I mean a lot of the revivals that I grew up around, there's like a really special, like someone different coming, someone like coming to town. Sure. Like it, it does seem odd. And, and I know this might not always be the case, but it does seem odd that revival seems to be spurred outside Based, yeah, like, of the normal streams. Like it has to be someone coming from the outside. Now, I think a lot of times the pastor will say, oh, they're bringing a fresh word or a fresh revelation or sure. a, a new movement of God or something to that effect, right? But it is interesting, and I never thought about that before, um, that it typically doesn't. And I'm not saying it never, but I'm saying typically doesn't happen internally. It does mm -hmm. seem to be an external yeah, force. Yeah, they have to like bring someone to to their church to yeah, like to kickstart it to get it to get it going. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought about that before. That I mean, that. I've I've been in church long enough where I've also like like you said, like there's always talk about revival or like our city needs revival. Like that is always one I've heard forever. Our okay. city needs revival. <clears throat> our city, but. Yeah. Right. Oh. So so this will be a good trans transition here. So you looked up a couple things before we got started. Mm -hmm. Give me, I think you had a couple different definitions of revival, right? Yeah. Go ahead and give me what you got. So I just like Googled it, just sure. a regular definition of revival. And it said an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Okay. Or an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so those were the two just like regular ones, but right. then I looked non -church, up- Non-church, non-spiritually yes. related. Right, yes. okay. So then I looked up kind of like Christian-based. So I was like, what does revival mean in church? And it said, revival in Christianity is defined as a spiritual reawakening of a believer from a state of spiritual dormancy hmm. in life. So I won't say who the author is, um, Christian author, they had a book and um, they they made this uh, assessment. And I do agree with this assessment. Um, if you asked 100 Christians what revival was, you'd probably get 100 different answers. Yeah. Um, because, and I think that works to revival's benefit. Because if you don't clearly define it, then anything 
can kind of work itself into the definition, right? So, for example, if revival meant that a thousand converts were happening a day, okay, now what we could do is wipe a lot of things that are called revival off the table because they don't fit in that category now, right? Yeah. Or if a revival means this happens or these particular one things happen you could start to whittle down what revival is, but because there is no sharp and heavy definition to revival, almost anything could be classified as revival. But how it works against itself is when we talk about, oh, our community needs revival, or this church needs revival, or this country needs revival. The problem without having a set and heavy definition is that no one knows what that means. (laughs) What does it mean for your community to have revival? Yeah. Uh, because I think a lot of people would say, well, if just all the people in our community started going to church, that would be revival. Mm-hmm. Well, I I might disagree with you in that uh, mm-hmm. assessment because there are times in American history where 70 to 80 percent of the population was going to church and they were still saying they needed revival. Yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? So it does seem like there's not a there's not a great measuring stick for and- revival. Well, right. And like for some people, I feel like like if it did what it was supposed to do, why does it need to happen all the time? <laughs> sure. And and another great kind of transition point. So if we can't lock down a actual definition for what revival is, right, um, that means it is now up to the interpreter to decide what revival is. Now it's up to the individual, it's up to the church community, and it's up to the greater Christian community to decide what revival is. A great example of this, I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, um, and I went to the church that had the big revival here in Central Florida, if any of you remember that. Um, and what I do remember is that there were absolutely circles. I'm not sure if they were strictly Assemblies of God circles, because I know they went outside of that too. There were absolutely circles who said what was happening in Central Florida, and I can't remember, maybe it was like 2009, I can't remember. Um, There were absolutely groups and circles of people who said, this is revival, it is happening. People were flying from all over the world to come to what was happening here. However, there were churches, not only just on the internet, in our own town, who had similar... Uh, denominational backgrounds who were like, this is not revival. So even within our own tighter community, there was an agreement about what was happening. Now, we could all say people are flying in from all over the world to see what was happening here. But even saying that, these other churches were like, yes, but that's not revival, right? We could say, oh, they had to move it out of this building and out into the, I think they moved it out to the Lakeland Airport and they had to have like a huge tent and like all this stuff. Okay, cool. They're they're bringing people, but that's not necessarily revival. So even mm-hmm. inside of this community, a town of less than a hundred thousand people at that point uh, could not agree on what revival was, and there was people who wanted to stay a million miles away from it. <laughs> I was one of them. Um, I was asked to lead worship for it and to be a part of it, and I don't know why what was going on. I just knew I didn't need to be a part of it. Um, Nothing tragic happened to anybody who led worship or anything like that. And, you know, but I mean, some crazy things did end up happening, but uh, I wasn't a part of it. I can't tell you I was just being super spiritual and I knew God was telling me. I just, for some reason, I had a gut check and I was like, nah, I I don't want to be a part of that. Anyway, so if there is no direct definition from a Christian community's response, the problem is when you start talking to non-Christians about quote unquote revival, you have nothing concrete to give them. 
oh, well, atheist brother or agnostic brother, you just don't understand. You might have a bone to pick with Christianity, but when revival comes, you will see. And then that atheist, agnostic, skeptic, whatever you want to call that person says, okay, what is revival then? Like, what is it that is going to happen that is going to cause me to massively shift my mind about Christianity, the church, God, etc.? Yeah. The problem is now you have nothing. Oh, mm-hmm. well, it might look like this or it could look like that. Okay, but but there's nothing concrete to give. And so here's my my biggest question. Since we can't define it, we can't. I mean, I know Google gave you, but we can't actually define, at least as a Christian community, we can't define what revival is. Because I guarantee you, ask different churches, ask different denominations, you're going to get different answers. So if we can't agree on what revival is, however, almost universally, at least in our charismatic circles, universally, we agree we need a revival. Yeah. But we can't agree on what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's all over the place. What then are we waiting for? What then are we looking for? Now, you brought up a good point earlier. Um, if something has been revived and revived and revived, why does it need to be keep keep being revived again? Right. right? Like if it's been brought back. When I think of revival, I think of something was dead and then you brought it back to life. Yeah. That's not a Christian phrase. That's just like if something like I think of video games all the time, like if we're playing a first person shooter together and it's like, oh, Christina's down. Go help your partner. I have to revive you. You are down. You are ineffective. You can't do anything. You will die if I don't go over there. So I have to come and hold down the X button for five (laughs) seconds till the circle fills up and then you're revived (laughs) and and you can go back. Right. Yeah. And it's a very silly video game way of thinking about it. But that's how I've always thought about the word yeah. revive to, to bring something back that is uh, ineffective or mm-hmm. dead, essentially. So the question is then, if the Christian community is screaming revival, revival, revival. Now I understand it's not all Christian communities, but a large swath of them. Uh, does, are we saying we're dead? Ooh. I, I'm not judging. I'm asking, like, are we saying we are dead? That's good because I don't think they'd see it like that either. Correct. Like we want it, but we're fine now, but we want it though. (laughs) Because from my experience, and this gets me in more hot water than anything, from my experience, my, if I was a church doctor or a Christian doctor, which I am not, I have no qualifications to be, but if I was, my diagnosis would be that a modern Christian Americanism is in a downward spiral right now. I don't think they would self-diagnose like that. So the issue then becomes if 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 they wouldn't say they are spiraling or they are dying as a group, um, mm. typically what happens is what I've seen, they look to the outside it's and they say the say outside is the problem. Spiraling is the world is so bad. It's mm-hmm. our government. It's our politicians. It's the liberal elite. It's the media. It's, it's the people. It's I mean, the woke. People. It's this. It's that. Right? Like it's it's everybody else except us. Yeah. The Christian community at large. But that then begs the question: Does the church need revival, or does the world need revival? And if the world needs revival. But yet the church, at least to my knowledge, has and, – and I know this because statistically church attendance is down and down and down year after year after generation. You can look this up. I'm not making any of this up. Church 
attendance is spiraling. There's no question there. Um, So if that's the case, but the church doesn't need revival, only the world does. My question then is, what does the church have to offer the world? What does the greater Christian community, if they look out and they see their social landscape uh, of America, let's just leave it in America and say, the world is dying. America is dying and it is up to us as Christians to bring revival to this land, to these people. But yet we're watching our own numbers plummet in front of our face. My question is, what do we have to offer? Now, I'm not being facetious. I'm not, I'm not even being sarcastic. I, I'm legitimately asking if what we're doing now isn't working, statistically speaking, what is it that you think we have to offer the rest of the world? I mean, Jesus, but... <laughs> okay, but we would say we already have Jesus. Well, I'm so saying that's what they would offer them. Right, but we already have that. We, we As faith believers, we would say we already have they Jesus. They don't have that. Sure, but it's not like we're not offering. It's not like we have like a membership. Like we haven't offered before. Right, right. It's not like this country hasn't been going for, you know, since 1776 and before then. Well, I'm saying that's what they would say. Right. If you ask them. Right, but there's a breakdown in logic because we've always been selling Jesus. Sure. I don't mean to cheapen the gospel or our faith, but we've always, as a church, we've <laughs> always been selling the idea of Jesus. Right. So if we've always been selling it and no one's buying, what's the issue? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the word revival, I'm trying to figure out what we mean. Now, I'm open to having discussions and conversations about the church needing revival because my personal opinion, and once again, I always have to f- throw in this caveat if, for, if you're a new listener or maybe I just don't say it enough. When I talk about the church— I'm not talking about your individual church. You may go to the best church in the world. I don't know. I've never been, probably. Um, But I've been to a lot, and I've been to a lot of different denominations. I've been around. Uh, And so when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about your specific church. Your church might be doing everything right, but statistically speaking, the church, at least in America, as a whole, is not— we, we, we know this. So I'm open to having discussions about what it means for the church to have revival, the overall American church. I'm a huge believer, and I think Jesus was too, because he straight said it in scripture, uh, take the plank out of your own eye before you point out the speck in someone else's. This would probably be my thesis statement if I had one. I believe the church has a lot of self-correcting it needs to do before we have anything to offer the world. Now, a lot of people would push back and say, oh, well, we're all sinners and we all make mistakes. We absolutely do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think as individuals, we have to get everything correct and become these sinless angelic beings before we can offer the gospel to somebody. There's something beautiful about still working your own stuff out and offering that olive branch to someone else who's trying to get their life together too. Sure. On an individual level, I have no issue with that. I don't think you need to reach perfection or sanctification before you can become a good spokesperson for the gospel. I don't, I don't think that. Uh, And I don't think Jesus did either. He never would have let the woman at the well become a huge missionary and bring back what, what thousands or hundreds of people. Right. You know, I, I mean, she didn't have her life cleaned up. It was one conversation in the middle of a day. 
And then boom, she's bringing people to Jesus. So I don't believe you as an individual have to get your life totally cleaned up. Um, I do think you need to have a paradigm shift. I think that Jesus has to become the center point of your being and loving others has to be at the center point of your being. Yeah, right. Like your heart needs to go through a transformation. But as far as like working, okay, so you cuss a little bit still, (laughs) right? Like you're still working out that part of your faith. It, you're rough and tough and yeah. it, you know, people, I, I don't know how they're going to receive you. I guess that would just depend on the type of person you're sure. interacting with, but I don't think you have to clean up all of these things before you let people know that Jesus is the reason your life is consistently better. Yeah. I think over time, those rough edges get worn down. That's what I believe. Uh, and I think as our heart shifts and changes more, that that comes with the territory. So on an individual level, I do not think we have to reach some state of perfection before we are qualified uh, to preach the gospel. Yeah. However, here's the big however. I do believe on a corporate or a systematic level, Christian Christianity, or maybe you want to pin it down to a denomination, that's fine too. But the systems that exist... And the people who control these systems, the leaderships, denominations, maybe it's a church board, multiple church boards, whatever, but the systems cannot be imperfect. That's where I have a big issue with the church, right? Um, And I use this all the time, and I've talked about it before just briefly, but I, I like using slavery in America as a great example. There were absolutely people... um, before slavery was abolished, Christians who wanted to see slavery abolished. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they couldn't see how, you know, we could do this in scripture. There was no justification saying people of color were any less than pe- white people. I mean, yeah, they were spot on. Right. So what we can't do is say, oh, all Christians back before slavery was abolished were just racist and they hated, you know, and they were pro-slavery. That's not true. Yeah. There was absolutely individuals, maybe even whole church bodies, total groups of people who were against it. However, there were major systems at play during that time in the Christian faith, not Mm -hmm. political, in the Christian faith, pastors and deacons and elders and maybe denominational leaders. I don't know how that worked back then. Government official. But there were systems at work that spoke for Christianity that were not about abolishing slavery. And Mm -hmm. these, this is the distinction I have to make for people all the time. We're not saying that there are not good individuals, not good churches. What we are saying, or I guess what I am saying, is that there are still systems that exist inside of Christianity that are unhealthy. And if that's what we're offering the world, I then say we don't have much to offer. Now, that doesn't say that your personal testimony and your personal push of the gospel into someone's life is is bad. Mm-hmm. I, d- I disagree with that. I think on an individual level, you are more than uh, set free to go preach the gospel. I believe it. You should do it. If you have Jesus, you have something awesome. You should give it away. However, when we're talking about a a system and systems inside of Christianity that still have a lot of yucky stuff. I mean, we just talked about our last podcast was about women in ministry. Mm-hmm. There are still systems out there. Maybe it's not your church. Maybe you don't even know a church like this, but I guarantee you, just give it a Google. There are still churches and denominations who will not allow women to be pastors of a church based on if everything we went over last week uh, our you know, the last podcast based on a scripture that's totally not right. Yeah. 
they're, they're basing these ideas of women being less than and not being able to speak in the church and not being able to lead men and, and all that stuff on bad scripture reading and bad mm-hmm. understanding of what scripture says. But those systems do exist in those churches and probably denominations that say women are less than. Now, do yeah. they have to write it on their foreheads and say women are less than? No, they would never do that because they know it's not popular. But if you dug into the systems and then you look at the statistics, what was it? 3% of evangelical churches have so, yeah. women pastors? Come on, guys. It's right yeah. there. It's a Google away if you want to see it. If you want to see it. And I think that's the big thing. If you want to see it. So when we talk about the church, when we talk about things that are wrong, once again, we're not picking on a, an individual denomination or you as someone uh, who carries their faith. We are talking about the systems mm-hmm. at play. Now, what's sad is there are people involved with those systems, and that's where it becomes a major muddy issue. Uh, and we watch Jesus wrestle with this consistently. Um I don't believe Jesus hated all Pharisees. I mean, we see him interacting with certain Pharisees and Mm -hmm. and having compassion for them. He even said to one of them, I see the kingdom inside of you. Yeah. Meanwhile, (laughs) the group of them conspired to murder him. Right. Right. Jesus knew how to attack and assist uh, how to attack a system that was bad without necessarily attacking the people in it. However, the people that were gung ho and holding on and would not let go of that control and power, they got themselves into their own hot water. This is why Jesus calls them brood of vipers. <laughs> this is why Jesus, I can't remember which one it was, is Matthew 23. It's the woe passage. Woe to you. Woe to yeah. you. Almost all of that is targeted at the Pharisees and Sadducees who were upholding a system that oppressed people and was not representative of God. So what Jesus is basically saying in all of these woe to use, you're attaching yourself to a system that's killing people. And if you're going to continue to do this, you are going to bring hell upon yourself is essentially what he's saying. He never called his disciples or his followers to just go murder all the Pharisees, right? That would have been that would have been the easy thing to do. Let's just take them out. Let's just take out all the leaders. And, you know, obviously that's not within Jesus' character. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying is Jesus understood there was a system that needed to be tore down and replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a very hard time. I don't want to say had a hard time doing it, but that was his consistent uh, battle. Was the system. If you read the Gospels over and over and over again, Jesus's battle wasn't with unbelief. Mm -mm. The people who claimed to believe him, it was crazy. I mean, Roman soldiers are have more faith than he's ever seen in all of Israel. (laughs) Yeah. A Roman soldier, they hate Jesus's kind, but he had faith. Right. Mm -hmm. There were certain Pharisees or at least one of my remembrance who had faith in Jesus, who said he was who he said he was. His disciples. I mean, we know Peter kind of fluctuates and and Judas sold him out. But and the groups of people that traveled and followed him, Jesus's battle with the world was not unbelief. It was the systems that wanted to oppress people that cloaked themselves as holy and as of God. I know I'm kind of rabbit trailing here, but I'm going to try to swing it all back. This is why when we talk about these systems, when we talk about Christianity, we're not picking on an individual or even a church. We're picking on these systems that we still, that I still believe are killing people, Mm -hmm. right? Jesus said murder starts in the heart. And if we as a leadership uh, on on a Christian uh, national level, uh, if, if our systems don't 
if our systems have a heart of murder, we are murdering people. If they're not here to save them and protect them, but control them and manipulate them to get whatever they're trying to get out of them, they are essentially killing those their, those people in their heart. Yeah. Right? They don't have to physically go out and kill these people because they're already yeah. doing the thing inside their heart. And what's sad is we're watching our generation fall away currently. We're watching, mm-hmm. uh, you know, teens to 20s, 30s and 40 year olds go through a massive movement right now called deconstruction. And yet the church is still super against it. Even though if you're a Protestant that exists today, you are a byproduct of Catholic deconstruction, which by the way, Catholic was the only church back when it was happening. So you, if you are not Catholic and worship Jesus in a Protestant setting today, you are a byproduct of (laughs) deconstruction. I don't know if, if we're not saying that loud enough or explaining it better. Um, The idea of deconstruction is nothing new. You could even argue that Jesus stepping into the Jewish landscape was deconstructing Jewish old covenant faith, all to bring into the new covenant. Literally, the whole teaching on the kingdom is a deconstruction teaching. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you. I mean, it's just. Now, you could argue, Lauren, you're just seeing through the lens you want to see. All right. Fair enough. Then you explain to me what it is, because we do know that Jesus did come to get rid of that system. I think mostly on a Christian level, we can all agree with that, right? Like Jesus was trying to, he was getting rid of the sacrificial system. He Mm -hmm. was getting rid of the priesthood all so that he could open the door, tear the veil, we have access with God again, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think most Christians would agree with that. Well, there was a whole system built during Jesus's time that was not on board with that. So Jesus, his disciples and all his boys Uh, And then even after he uh, was crucified, raised, and then ascended again, and then you move into the book of Acts, they're still doing this. Yeah. I mean, the whole book of Hebrews, just read it. It's pushing back against old covenant thinking and trying to bring in the kingdom. So this idea of deconstruction is nothing new. Nothing new at Mm -hmm. all. Um, However, those historically, who have been against deconstruction. Get uh, murdered. uh, Well, (laughs) uh, typically find themselves on the wrong side of history. I'll I'll say it that way. Uh, The Catholic Church, historically, not viewed well. Uh, I'm I'm not saying, if you're Catholic now, I'm not talking about current and and what you do. I'm talking about uh, things like the Crusades and burning people at the stake for being witches. You know, just there's some weird stuff that happened inside the Catholic Church. Um, So I would say on a historical level, the Catholic Church is just not viewed favorably for some of the things they did to people and cultures and communities and and whatnot. Um, So, yeah, and and we could look at the same thing, like the the Pharisees now, looking back, like obviously if you lived in that time, it'd probably be like you'd feel very torn. Like, I don't know, I hear about this guy Jesus, but I've been raised in the temple my whole life and this is what I've always known. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Moses. During that time, you, you may be torn. I get that. But looking back now, 2,000 years later, it's very easy to paint the Pharisees as, as the bad guys, right? Like that's – it's not difficult yeah. to do it all. So historically speaking, those people who pushed back against the new covenant deconstruction that Jesus was bringing are not looked at too favorably. Yeah. Now, we probably will not have the hindsight in 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years, uh, at least – I I don't think so, uh, to look back on the deconstruction movement that's happening now and see who's viewed favorably afterwards. We don't know. Yeah. But let me swing all this back into revival because it does make sense. It all plays into this. So this idea of revival, what we're saying is something needs to be reborn because it's dead. 
I don't feel like most people would say their church is dead. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. I don't feel like most people would say their faith is dead. Oh, no. I don't feel like most people would say their denomination is dead. Uh-uh. And so if, if all those things are true, then I don't feel like most people would say that American Christianity is dead. Yeah. But they will look at the rest of the world and see the issues that come with the world because it's the world. People murder and lie and cheat and steal. Like that's humanity. Like that's just that. And that's nothing new. I hope we realize that. Like society isn't any worse now than it was, uh, you yes. know. Thousands and thousands of years in the past. I mean, you can read your Bible to know that. You can open up a history book. People have been doing horrible things since people were able to do horrible things. We are not living in an age of, uh, what do they want to call it? Moral depravity. At least not in the sense where it's more now than it has ever been. Yeah. It's just as bad now. I mean, during Greek times, it was okay uh, for elderly men to sleep with young boys. Yeah. That's not okay now. You know, so... You, I, well, yeah, and I think people don't realize that a a part of why it's maybe if they think it's worse, you just have more access to the information. It's just quicker and more sure available. It, right, right. But like I said, open up any history book. Yeah. It's not any worse now. No. It's not. And in fact, I think I think maybe not media, but I think the information age we live in has made us more accountable. Mm -hmm. Something heinous. I mean, look at look at just the couple of pastors who have fallen in the past five years. Man, their worlds got shattered in an instant almost. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the information was so readily available. Boom. Something happens. Carl Lentz Everybody cheats on knows. his wife. Yeah. Everybody knows. Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Fox News. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's yeah. everywhere. So I do think there's a little bit more of accountability now because information can spread so quickly. It's not going to stop people from doing stupid, horrible things, but it might cause you to think twice because I don't want to end up trending on Twitter yeah. you know, if, if everything yeah. goes south. So, so how does this all back, you know, wrap back into the idea of revival? So we said we wouldn't call our churches, uh, our faith, our denominations, and maybe not even the Christian uh, American experience as dead, but we will look outside and say, well, the world is dying around us, right? Okay, there's some arguments to be made there. But my question is, what is it about revival that Christians think is going to change? What is the change they're actually looking for? That is my big question. Now, the problem is we can't define revival, right? Like we like we can't agree on what revival is sure. as a overall Christian American community. So I guess the next question would be, what problems are you hoping or looking for revival to solve? Well, that is a uh, that one's tough because, well, I mean, I can tell you how I see it, but that's not how they're gonna see it. Um, they're not fulfilled with what their faith experience probably is, like, and what their church experience is. They are going to the. We've talked about this for before. We've known plenty of people to go to the altar for years about the same thing. They're like, every Sunday my church has an altar call and I'm going to pray and I'm going to have the pastor pray for me. Because I need this shift in my life, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's a, a, like a bigger problem. Like it's a root problem of like what their understanding of faith and Christianity that it doesn't actually fulfill you know, I, I don't know, I guess their needs because they don't understand it properly. So are you saying that, that people are wanting revival on a more individual level because their personal needs aren't being met? Um, I mean, I think some people, I mean, I feel like everybody's a little selfish. 
<laughs> but do you need a church to have revival to get personal? I mean, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I don't think so. But I mean, you know, there's plenty of people who hmm. rely heavily on their church and their pastor specifically to sure. be yeah, there, I, I like to be there, uh, like, like between them and God, sure. like the messenger. Yeah, I guess I've never thought about like that uh, on an individual level. And I guess that could totally be true that if you're struggling with something or something's not happening in your life. See, I think a lot of times the altar or prayer is uh, like getting prayer from someone or waiting for the the prophet to come to town or an apostle yeah. or evangelist I to mean, come to town. That might be the thing. Well, um, and then when he does, it's all about, yeah, like praying for your health and praying for your finances and praying for your marriage. Like it's right. all it's all selfish. Right. But do you think do you think that is wrapped up in in the idea of revival, though? I mean, I would say so. OK. I mean, why do they go like at a revival we, that we talked about, the kind we've been yeah. to and people go to the altar? Are they going to like, why are they there? I guess I see what you're saying. There is kind of a disconnect here. It's like we're we're screaming revival because we want to see change in the community. But then when a revival, quote unquote, happens and we're in the altars, it's about us. Yeah, <laughs> that is a very interesting perspective. I've never thought about it like that before, that you go there um, or, or the idea of revival draws you in because you think there might be a greater impact on society, community, like whatever that greater thing is. But then once we get there, it's about prayer lines and fire tunnels and healings. And and once again, obviously, like healings and prayer, there's nothing in wrong inside of that. Um but you're right. It does kind of shift the perspective of like, but wait, I thought we were coming together under the banner of revival to see things shift. But yeah. then once we get there, it does turn into my health well, and or my relationships or my finances yeah, or whatever. And they'll probably touch on it. Like they'll touch on it being like revival for our community or whatever. But like, I think people feel like it works because they feel better about themselves. Yeah. So we would call that <laughs> cathartic. That yeah. would be the word that they they feel better because or they think it, it was revival or they think right. like it was a shift in the community or in the church when sure. it was just they saw things happening to the people that they're used to being around. Right. Or maybe maybe strangers, but they saw a miracle or, you know, sure, saw sure. something happen and also like feel better about themselves. I don't so know. let me zoom out just a little bit then. So you were talking about the individual. Let me zoom out a little bit. Do you think that the greater Christian community, and I guess I could kind of narrow that down a little bit more to like the more evangelical side of Christianity in America. Do you think, and this may be a rhetorical question, I I get it, but <laughs> it is kind of a question as well. Do you think they're waiting for revival or wa wanting or praying for revival because they see themselves as the victims of community? We want revival because the world's pushing back against us so hard. Because the woke left is is this and they're uh, trying to teach our kids that like I think a lot of times the revival and I've heard this used multiple times in churches I've been to in the past. The revival is about pushing Jesus out into the world in a way that benefits us as a community. I mean, maybe for some people, if we just had a revival, we, you know, our kids wouldn't be hearing this stuff in school. <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard people say that. Sure. If we just had a revival in this country, we wouldn't have to worry about our politicians doing X, Y, and Z. Right? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of times revival for on a community level is people's way to try to shift something culturally to benefit them. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard it that way. I mean, I mean, I still think it's 
like at the end of the day, I think for the basic average person, I mean, some of those people might have that perspective you just said, but I think they're just unhappy. Like they don't understand like who Jesus really is and what faith really is. So that is why they're unfulfilled and why they're asking for more constantly. Sure. sure. They're begging to see God, hear from him, understand him. Right. Because they're like, because they don't like you. You said they don't feel fulfilled. Fulfilled. There. Yeah, they're they're like you know, and that's why revival I think is so lucrative. Like it's like ooh, so flashy and like sure. ooh, because they're dying for it. Like the thirsty, they're well, and and I'm not picking on this guy at all. So if you guys like him, that's fine. I'm I'm not. I'm just kind of going off of his model here. I I don't watch him enough to know if he uses the word at all. But uh, so I think Joel Olstein is selling what you're talking about. I think Joel Olstein is selling the idea, come to church, find a community, tithe, pray, read these books, do these things, and it will get you out of that spiritual like rut. Self-help. Kind of, but like it's like self-help mixed with Jesus, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of his niche. That's what he's... I don't I don't mean to use the word so negatively by selling. I just mean that's the thing he's pushing out there. But I don't know if he uses the word revival or pushes the concept of revival. But yeah, it seems know. like his niche that he's in seems to fit the narrative of what you're saying those people are looking for. Yeah, maybe. They're looking to get out of that spiritual rut, whether it be finances or like whatever the thing is. Uh, and Joel Olstein seems to put the solution out there. But well, it's he, not, though. Okay, that's fine, but I'm trying to tie it to um, revival here because I think what he's pitching, he can pitch without fluffing the word revival, if that makes sense, to where I think a lot of other church communities do use the word revival, but they're not necessarily pitching that kind of self-help. And and honestly, a lot of churches don't like how Joel Osteen operates in ministry. A lot of people Mm -hmm. have a bone to pick with him because they think he is just kind of like a self-help guru with a thousand dollar smile, (laughs) wears a great suit. um, And, you know, he, he, he's found his, his audience, Mm -hmm. I guess that's the best way to say, and a rather large one at that. Yeah. Um, And so, but he's done so at least from my understanding without throwing the word revival around. Right. Like he's he's taking something macro, which I would call the revival attitude in America and made it more micro, made it more yeah. for the individual. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I'm talking about anyway, I think it's a bigger issue than revival. I think it's like the Sunday to Sunday experience. I think it's your everyday sure. life. Like this isn't new to just revival. I think this problem that people have that are always looking for more is because they truly don't understand like faith or like Jesus. And so okay. literally their Sunday to Sunday, not even just when revival rolls into town, but their Sunday to Sunday experience is unfulfilling. So I want to try to tie these two concepts together because I think I was disconnected, but now I'm starting to see it a little better. <clears throat> the individual may go to the altar every week because they feel, feel unfulfilled, whether it be in their um, spiritual life, maybe it's their quote unquote sin life, maybe it's their relationships, you know, the myriad of things, maybe it's their physical health, finances, all that, like whatever it could be, right? They're in the altar every week. They're unfulfilled as a Christian. They don't understand what's going on in their life. <clears throat> and they're searching and they're searching and they're searching. Then the then Christianity comes and presents this idea called revival, which I do believe is a macro level thing. I don't believe yeah. revival is a small thing. I think it's always meant to be a big thing. Yeah, At least yeah, that's yeah. how it's pitched. 
I think what happens is the freight train that is revival rolls through town or the idea of it rolls through town. And the person who's been looking for answers in their life says, well, that looks like the train I need to jump on mm-hmm. because that's heading Exciting, towards yeah. God. That's heading towards Jesus. Um, so I get it. I get how they might want to ride the coattails of revival into whatever um, prosperity they're looking for, whether it be emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, whatever that thing is. Um, so, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but when I'm thinking of revival, I'm not necessarily thinking about that Christian crying in the altar, although I understand that person could be greatly affected by yeah, something. I called mean, revival. I think that is what revival is. It's literally just self. It's giving everybody what they want or what they think they want. Well, but once again, we've already kind of established they don't. We can't define it. Well, right. That's why it's a self. Like they want what they want for them or what they think is going to. I'd, I guess be better for the computer. I guess it's dependent on the person. Like you said, sure. it's dependent on the person. Sure. But I think we're all a little, at the end of the day, most people are selfish or at least a little bit. Yeah, no, I I, I could agree with that. So we're always thinking about us and our needs. So let's, let's try to spin it positive here for a second, just for the sake of argument. <clears throat> let's say there is a revival tomorrow. And let's say it's a nationwide one. Mm-hmm. If you were leading that revival, well, let, let me flip it. That So the revival happens tomorrow and we're three weeks in, a month in, whatever. What are Christians saying? Like, what is the thing that Christians will be saying to identify nationally, on a national level, cross-denominational? What would be some of the things that we would all agree on? This means revival is happening right now. What I mean, is Like a that? real one or like... Yeah, no, like a real one. Like if it's really happening right now, what would be the things we would be seeing? I mean, I don't know. From a Christian perspective, I'm not necessarily asking oh. your perspective. Oh, okay. Like, what do you think the the, the evangelicals? Okay, so miracles, so signs and wonders. Yes. Okay. Anything else? Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel like it's all what we already think revival is, or what our people already think, or what they associate with it. Like big worship conferences where people are crying and like healing. Yeah, he, signs and wonders. <laughs> I feel like that's what it already is. So just signs and wonders then. You think that's all that that we would need to see on a national level to call it revival? I mean, I think people now, literally just large gatherings they call revival. Like all those worship things like in different states. I feel like in the past couple of years they've had, they're like, a revival's happening. This worship leader came to town and we're all collected here together to like. And, and they're not even necessarily talking about converge, converting people, right? Mm-hmm. They're just talking about the, the groups of people that are already established just gathering together in a bigger place and calling yeah. that revival. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think their whole goal is to get people to see them like unbelievers or like people to be like, you know, trickle on in because it's outside. And I don't want to be the jerk here, but just just devil's advocate it's not working. Statistically oh. speaking, it's not working. Like sure. if, if we're really going to play that game and say, oh, well, the idea is to get a bunch of people gathered so that we'd be more visible to the world and therefore we'd have more converts and Christianity will grow and become more healthy. Well, statistically speaking, it's not working. Yeah. We're I declining mean, year after year yeah. in, in church membership, I don't especially doubt people, in the evangelical group. Yeah. I don't doubt people have seen people get saved. I'm doing quotes. Save, sure. Get saved. Like because they were outside at a worship conference or something. You know what I mean? Sure. But I don't doubt that has happened. Sure. Because I'm sure it ha- 100%. But I know happened. it's not happening on the level that's shifting the numbers. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. And, that, and I, that's the point. I'm Once again, 
we're not, I'm not critiquing the individual people who are saved at a church service or that go to a conference or whatever. We're not downplaying those individual decisions. But what I am saying is that those individual decisions do not seem to be happening on a scale so large where they're tipping the numbers back into the positive. We're yeah. still year over year in a deficit as far as Christianity uh, growing is concerned, and at I, least in America. And I'm wondering if for some Christians, I'm trying to remember if I was taught this, like that revival kind of makes you feel equipped to go be the change in your community. Right. Um, I feel like that maybe is a thing. All right. So, man, I think you that that just like opened the whole can of worms of kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, even though <laughs> An we're, hour later. <laughs> we're literally 59 minutes in. Um, it, it's this idea here. And I think I've already touched on a little bit. So we get the numbers. We have the signs and wonders, the miracles, mm -hmm. we, you know, whatever, the speaking in tongues, like all the things happen, the things will, you know, at these conferences or whatever. Yeah. And then we send people out to where? I no, mean, they just live their normal life. Right, right. But what I'm saying, like the point I'm trying to make is like America is saturated. Yeah. They're, it's not like there are parts of Western Ohio that haven't heard the name of Jesus yet. Like, <laughs> like it's out there. Like Christianity is has saturated the market as far as America goes in the United States. Yeah. So if that's true, what do we mean when we send people out? What does what does that mean? Like I get what we mean. Like, oh, now you're in your Walmart or your airport or your workplace or wherever you are, and now you are preaching the gospel. And you have your armor on. <laughs> right, right. But like that's the idea, right? Like to be yeah. sent out really just means to be in the community you're already in and try to have a positive Jesus impact, right? Like that would yeah. be a base definition. Sure. My question is, is that not already happening? Well, well. Has it not been happening for probably hundreds of years yeah, in this country? Or like least? what you're already supposed to be doing well, regardless as what they would think. Sure, but I'm saying even more than that, it's already happening. We, yeah. where were we the other day? We were Publix. in Publix and this mm -hmm. guy handed us a track, a little mm -hmm. piece of paper that like had the basic gospel message on it. Mm -hmm. and that's fine. It was like, whatever, yeah. but it's happening. Yeah. It's not yeah. like this isn't happening. So what do we mean? Revival means we're going to send people out. What? <laughs> like it's already know. happening. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what is it that we're looking for when we talk about revival? That's what I'm saying. The core issue is they don't know because, well, they're looking for real Jesus. I'm going to put my my assertion out there, and then I'm going to try to circle back and back it all up. <laughs> my assertion is Christianity, systematically as it stands, has very little to offer the world. Yeah. That's my assertion. Inside of that assertion, I'm saying that we can send as many people out as we want to, but if our system is broken, people are going to spit it out. Mm -hmm. My assertion is that we can have as many people in a building singing, oh, praise him, as we want to. But if the systems don't change inside of Christianity, it's not going to matter. Uh, we can do all the things, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, and now you as an individual have to sift through what is real and what is not, because I'm not going to make that call. I don't want to you know, be that guy. Um, but you now have to sift through what's real and what's manufactured. Um. And then I would, once again, I will argue all of those things can happen. Let, let's say, for example, G, let, let's go with the idea that systematically Christianity in America is broken. That's what I'm saying. Like, not going to sugarcoat it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. 
Let's say, and I'll just use Joel Osteen as an example because he's <laughs> famous and everybody buddy. knows who he is. T.D. Jakes, you know, just take pick pick your big pastor, your big church, whatever. Sure. Let's say people started getting healed and speaking in tongues happens and just all the signs and wonders that you can think of, like crank Bethel up to 11. <laughs> and it happens in Joel Osteen's church next week. And it happens for four weeks straight. Okay, boom. Signs and wonders are happening. It's being televised. Whatever, all that's happening. And let's say it's a legitimate move of God. No manufacturing, no fluff, no, it's God is doing something spiritually, supernaturally. Okay. Let's say all that happens, but our minds and our concepts about God and our place inside of the community. And what I guess I'm saying is God can move it, but if our systems don't, we don't gain anything. And the world doesn't gain anything, at least on a societal level. People could get healed. Great. Great for that individual. People could get converted and follow Jesus. Great for that individual. But systematically speaking, God could continue to move and do things supernaturally. But if our systems and how we think about our place in this world don't shift and change, I don't know how much we can offer the world. Not because he's not good enough, but because we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And he's not holding us back in this example. We are holding ourselves back, not because we don't have enough faith, not because we don't have the desire to, kind of, but because we are allowing systems to continually damage our concepts of Jesus. And and we're at odds with ourselves. The Jesus we claim to worship and the systems that we establish are constantly butting heads. And like Paul says, we have just become... Uh, clanging gongs or cymbals. Yeah. If I have not love, this is what I become. And so much of what the world sees about Christianity is chess beating. It's this is uh, how we think the world should work and you should listen to us because we're the moral authority and we're ah, we're all in everybody's face and they're not seeing love on a systematic level. I'm not yeah. talking about the individual or even the church community who goes and feeds homeless people. All yeah, that is great. Yeah. On a systematic level, this is not what the world sees from American mm-hmm. Christianity. So if I have not love, I have nothing. And yeah. that is what I believe the world is saying. Christianity yeah. has nothing to offer me on a systematic level. <laughs>